Hello and welcome back to the show and welcome to season three. It feels so good to be back. So I don't know if you remember my last episode in season two, I mentioned that I wasn't sure exactly when I was going to be back for this season because I really wanted season three to unfold naturally. I didn't want to get caught up and trying to control things through my mind. I'm so happy to share that today's episode came about so intuitively. In fact, I never could have planned it had I tried to go about things mentally. I am speaking with Bella Lively, who is the host of the very popular podcast, The Lively Show. Bella is a podcaster and a teacher whose mission is to help people access their intuition and their inner voice in order to gain more freedom in their lives. Now, I'm not going to go into how Bella and I crossed paths, but this episode came about so organically, so naturally, with such ease and almost zero planning. And the result is profound. We are talking about using the power of intuition, the power of our inner voice to find more freedom around food. Bella describes her own nine-year struggle with food, vacillating from undereating to overeating, and her mental obsession with diet and weight. She describes how she went from that obsessive place, that insanity, quote, as she calls it, of being tied to a number on a scale to finding peace, harmony, and total trust with her body. Bella has a saying, feel your feelings and eat your food or eat your food and feel your feelings. So simple, but so profound. We're going to get into some of those teachings today. And even if you have never had any issues around food, her story is so powerful. And really, this is ultimately about not just finding freedom around food, but finding freedom for ourselves as humans in a much deeper way. Bella describes the power of embracing non-duality in order to gain more sovereignty. And if you don't know what any of that means, don't worry, because you're going to find out. I think you're going to walk away feeling so inspired, uplifted, expanded, and empowered. As always, if this work resonates with you, an easy way that you can support it is by sharing it with your family and friends. You can post about it on social media or rate it on your podcast app. And you can sign up for the Mind, Body, Spirit, Food newsletter where I dive into some of these topics deeper. I offer weekly new recipes and I explore the pleasure of feeding ourselves. All right, my friends, let's dive in. Hi, Bella. Welcome to the show. It is such a joy to see you and to have you on. Thank you for having me. I haven't been on another person's podcast in quite a while, so uh, it's fun to do something new again. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so honored that you're here. You have been such an inspiration in my own life, particularly with teaching me how to access my own intuition and my inner voice, and it has changed my life. So I can't wait to get into some of that with you, particularly around food, because I know that's had a big role in your life as well. But before we go there, I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, what is your cultural background and how has that influenced your relationship to food? So my cultural background, I was raised in the United States in mostly Michigan growing up, and then I've lived around the world for the last eight years. So at this point, I feel very multi dimensional, <laughs> multi-relational to many different cultures. But the core one that I had growing up was the United States. I wouldn't say that America per se had too much to do with it. I think there was a time frame in America, though, that when I was young, I'm 39 now. So when I was in high school, it was like 10 things I hated about you was hitting hard. I mean, Heath Ledger was mm -hmm. like the dreamboat of my fantasies when I was a kid. But then the girls in those kind of movies were quite thin. So I do think there was a time yeah. frame uh, in American culture that I was young and that was there. But I think the more I've done the deep digging in the concept of food and body image and my experience with it, I think it actually doesn't so much deal with the cultural. It's more of the ancestral lineage and the mm. perception of thinness being ideal to my dad's 
parents and then through those parents to him and to me. So that was definitely a focus. It wasn't about beauty. It was about intelligence and fitness or thinness was what was valued by my father. My mom never had any conditioning whatsoever to give me or deny me. So there was kind of neutral on that side. But definitely on dad's side, I could tell it was good if I was smart and thin. So interesting because I feel that very strongly. (laughs) I feel that very strongly. If you don't mind, I know you've shared some of your history with food on your own podcast. Would you mind sharing some of that? Because I think a lot of the listeners will then be able to understand how the inner voice intuition comes into play to hear that you also had a bit of a struggle. A bit is mild, I would say. It was a (laughs) massive struggle. It was actually the first major. I feel like the work that I do helps support so many people through so many different multifaceted issues in their life. And it's like my soul was like, okay, we're going to hit you through all of these for five to 10 Mm. years each. And you're going to have to go through these roadblocks yourself. And then as you do, you understand firsthand for half a decade to a decade of life on that subject. So I understand when people come to me with so many different issues because I've had them all my own. So I've had the buffet of issues. And the first one that hit me most in my conscious awareness as a child was food. So from 15 to 25, it was just nine years. It was one year shy. Maybe it was ticking into 10 where I thought more about food than anything else in my life. I was obsessive compulsively counting calories. It was 1,600 calories. And I would recount the same foods that I ate that day in high school over and over and over again, like dozens of times as if the number was going to change. And I prepare what I was going to eat for my snack in the afternoon or the evening obsessively. Then I was running obsessively so much so that I was really great at cross country and track, but just obsessively counting my miles, counting my calories, measuring my weight. Then those are the first five roughly years. So the first half of the decade was the restriction. And I lost about 40 pounds from my freshman year of high school into this obsession into sophomore year. Then I was borderline anorexic at that weight that I was. My fifth grade brother weighed more than me at that time Mm -hmm. as like maybe a sophomore in high school. I don't think about this stuff now because it's not in my reality, but I definitely know that there was some part where there was very, very thin. The doctor, I did a physical for basketball and all the sports I was doing. And he said, she's borderline anorexic. No one ever said anything. Friends or family watched the 40 pounds shut off me. Or actually, no, at that point, it was probably only 20 pounds. Sorry, I I haven't thought about this story in so long because it's so far in the Mm -hmm. rearview mirror of my life. But I ended up getting up to... 40 pounds higher than this later. So let me just retract. I lost 17-ish pounds, I would say, or maybe 20 pounds. And that still was a big shift, but not 40 pounds. Then he said, she has to do something or we're going to take action. So the doctor was the only person, first and only person to say something. And they thought, no, she doesn't have a problem because I would say yes to eating ice cream. I remember my dad came up to me while I was running around the neighborhood one day and said, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen. And he wanted to check to see whether I would eat ice cream. And since I did decide to eat the ice cream, but I just put it in the 1600 calorie budget. But either way, because I said yes to the ice cream, he didn't count it as a problem. So that's kind Mm. of the amount of awareness that my family had to the whole situation and blase-ness. And let's see, then college, I went to therapy for things that I experienced when I was younger. And in the therapy, going through the emotional, you've known me, Nikisa, you know, I talk about emotional beanbags. I had so many emotional beanbags that the therapist would just poke, poke, poke the beanbags. They'd all be churned up. All these emotions from my past would be provoked because of our conversation, but there was no releasing, there's no integrating, there was no getting rid of them. So then I was just emotionally in this turmoil from having talked about all this stuff that I hadn't processed yet or didn't know how to process. Mm -hmm. And all the talk therapy in the world doesn't change the beanbags. It just talks about the beanbags that are there. So you can name them and know where they came from and how they get poked in the future, but it doesn't remove them. So when I went home after the therapies, I'd be so miserable. I'd eat candy bars and binge eat either Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I would like eat the whole like half pint or whatever. There's little pint things you could get at the convenience store in the college dorm. And I would just like let the ice cream melt and then eat all the half baked cookie dough and brownie batter. And just somehow I was like saving calories by letting some of the ice cream melt off and not eat Mm. that part of the ice cream. It was just wild. So then I would go to like you know, Olive Garden. Remember Olive that? All Garden. You can yeah. Olive Garden. I would go there yeah. and I would binge eat until I was so stuffed I couldn't even sit up straight. And so because thankfully I was afraid of vomiting, I would lay with my legs at the wall is what I figured out how mm-hmm. to handle my 
terrible discomfort from the amount of food that I ate. So that was the swing up the 40 pounds. So then I went from the Mm -hmm. anorexic side to the 40 pounds higher. The middle balance point, my probably my body's natural set point would have been right in the middle between those two extremes. But for the nine years, I swung 20 pounds lower and 20 pounds higher, roughly from that place. And yeah, it, it consumed my whole life. I tried Weight Watchers when I was in the high scale side of things. I ran marathons to lose weight mm-hmm. twice. One, I didn't change my eating patterns at all. And I realized I didn't lose any weight. So I just ate more cinnamon rolls after each run. And at the second marathon, I was like, oh, I think I have to eat the same amount of food and just run more. Shocker. Like, mm-hmm. so anyways, it was, <laughs> a, it was a shit show. Can I just tell uh, you, Nikki, that's, yeah. that's, I haven't thought about it in a really long time, but it was all consuming at that decade of my life. You know, it's so, well, I've shared my own story and I was borderline anorexic in my late teens and early 20s. And it's so interesting what you say because it becomes this obsession. And food for me has always been my greatest joy. I mean, this is why I do what I do. I was the kid watching Jacques Pepin on PBS instead of cartoons. I have always had a passion, but when it switches And when the mind takes control, it becomes this obsession and it became the biggest stress in my life, which I'm so grateful for that. I want to just acknowledge those younger selves of you and I, because it certainly brought us to where we are today. I do this work largely because of her. So I want to thank her. I want to thank your younger self. Can we circle back really quick to the emotional beanbags, because I think that'll probably come up as we start to talk about how you navigated out of that. But can you just describe what that is for some of my listeners who don't know your work? Yeah. So when I do my work with my clients, basically, I help them use their awareness to connect to their intuition, or I call it their inner voice. As they do that, it sometimes is hard for them to connect to their inner voice because of what I call emotional beanbags that seem to be like stuff on top of the table, covering up the intuition and inner voices guidance underneath. So the intuition is present within everyone, but not everyone realizes it's there because some people, more than others, everyone's a different table, so to speak, have different junk on top of the table. And so once they learn how to clear those emotional quote unquote beanbags, now the reason I call them beanbags is confusing. But once you get the hang of it, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not actually a beanbag. Eckhart Tolle called it the pain body. But I read that book 35 times probably and never understood what he was talking about Mm. specifically when he used the word pain body until I had my own releasing of tons and tons and tons of my pain body. And the very, very, very first one felt like a beanbag was being removed and pulled out of my belly button. I was very uncomfortable, very scared and confused in what was happening. But then as it came out, I felt this huge liberation and this emotional release. And then it just Mm. started happening all over my body. And I was like, oh, that is what Eckhart's calling the pain body. But the word body and pain confused my mind. I used to think of it like a boogeyman was going to take over my body rather than realize once I could isolate these emotional packets of stuck energy as shapes floating around, it feels like, around the body. And so Mm -hmm. most people never, never, never have a beanbag specific shape emotion. They'll have the feeling of grief in their chest and the shape is like a rope or they'll have a watermelon of anger in their belly. They'll have lots of fruits and footballs kind of things, soccer balls of of (laughs) anxiety in their shoulders. You know, they have these different shapes Mm -hmm. of different emotions. And when I get them to shift into their awareness out of their mind, because your mind cannot sense an emotional beanbag, it knows you have an emotion present And the mind can go to a story that connects to the emotion, which is what therapy is all about. Let's talk about these pain points and let's talk about where they came from or what's poked them recently, but it wasn't removing them. And so because Mm. for good reason, the awareness that you are is what can actually do that and can actually locate the shape in the body and the location that emotion is actually non-physically, you could say, living in around your body. And so that was, by the way, I figured that out by myself with my own direct intuition when I was like in my 30s. So when I got over Mm -hmm. my eating stuff, I was eight to 10 years from figuring out emotional beanbags and how to release them. So I actually Mm -hmm. magically but like really got out of the eating obsession without even knowing how to emotional beanbag release like I now could teach someone. So now I could help people with these issues so much more effectively than what I knew at that time. So the other issues like relationship issues, money issues, career issues, those kind of things, I dealt with those situations and issues later in my mind's obsessions. 
And so as those other layers, like emotional beanbag release, how to use your inner voice really well, those all became skills that I had, I could apply them, but they still also would apply to body just as well. I just didn't have all those tools yet in my own toolbox at the time I faced them. So it's kind of a good sign that you can actually get rid of them without using the classic techniques. But I think Mm -hmm. you can also do it much more efficiently and much more effectively if you do learn some of these things along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because like you, when I was in my early 20s, I started going to talk therapy. And it was so interesting what you said, because I just cried the entire time because the food was not the issue. The issue was a lot of other stuff that went far deeper. And interestingly, I think it took a lot longer to heal because, like you said, I started to recognize what those things were, but I didn't quite know how to digest it, how to get it out of my system. Because as you describe, the emotional beanbag is this stuck energy. And unless we know that, when you have that power of being like, oh, I can go into that energy and I can help it dissolve, I can dissolve it, then it's so much more efficient. <laughs> it's so, yeah, then you don't have like the emotion superpower. Yes. So let me tell you, Nikki, my experience was, okay, talk to the therapist about stuff that happened when I was younger that I didn't ever speak about before. So it's like bringing up this for the first time. It's all personal stuff to my family. So I don't speak about it publicly because it's other people's business, not just my own. I'm fine to talk about it because it involves others in my family that are very private. I don't talk about it. But I will say that as I was poking at them and you might have had for whatever issues that you were dealing with, you were basically like me talking and poking at them. But then after the session, it's like, what did I don't know what you did, but I just felt terrible and I felt uncomfortable from all these emotions that were weighing on my emotional body. And so I wanted to make those go away. And so my mind's way was instead of eating my food and feeling my feelings, I ate my feelings. I thought that the feelings would go away Mm. at least for the five to 10 minutes I was eating Mm. the candy bars or the ice cream. And yeah, I was distracting myself for like three to 10 minutes. It's not even that effective of a tool. But then I would feel gross because I'd binge eat the sugary stuff to get the serotonin boost probably or the endorphins of the sugar. But then I would crash because not on the sugar crash, I'd crash on the fact that I just stuffed my body. And then I would have a more emotional beanbags because then I judged myself and felt guilty for what I just did. People really ultimately need to stop eating their feelings and feel their feelings Mm. and eat their food. That is the number one issue, at least looking back at my nine years, what I was doing was trying to either control my body, which was going to make me happy, or it was going to be trying to distract and avoid emotions. But then actually I would double it up because I'd have even more beanbags from the eating that I just didn't feel bad about it after. Yeah, it becomes this cycle, but that's so clear. Feel your feelings and don't eat, eat them. Your food. food. Don't I eat know. your food. And I think we all, there, there is an undeniable aspect to food that provides comfort and nourishment and nurturing. But I think that can be a really, really beneficial thing if we're present for that, if we're intentional about that. And so it's like if we eat because we want to give ourselves nurturing and comfort, that's a very different thing from eating to escape. It's kind of like I'm going to eat to numb and to numb, by the way, the definition of to numb is to deaden. So I'm going to eat to deaden these emotions or I'm going to eat to nurture these emotions. And I think that that's like a fine line that people get confused about. (laughs) And nurturing is something that feels good on the body. So if what Mm. you're doing is not feeling Mm. good to the body, like soothing, nurturing a baby, soothing a baby. So if what you're doing to the body, so you can eat. I used to eat when I'd have these emotional days of beanbag releasing. I'd eat nachos years and years later by that. And I knew how to beanbag release and stuff. I could eat comforting foods, but not to the point of numbing like you just mentioned. And it was Mm -hmm. actually nurturing. It was kind of like, in a way, still nice and comforting to the body, but I wasn't hurting the body. Let me please make that clear. Mm -hmm. It was not binging like I previously used to binge. And the binging is very uncomfortable for the body. So if you're thinking about Mm -hmm. whether you're comfort eating, is it actually feeling good after you've completed the food for the next hours as your body digests? Or is it actually like I used to feel so uncomfortable I'd have to have my legs up the wall? That's not comforting the body. Mm, So think about the actual physiology of your body to recognize there's nothing wrong with having comfort foods or joyful foods that bring you loving 
memories and emotions, great, as long as the after effect of eating that volume of that food feels physiologically balanced and peaceful for the digestion process of the body. That is what I was mm-hmm. not even at any level of self-aware enough. I was completely blasting past any levels. I actually didn't know what hunger felt like. So when I had to go through the resolution, mm. and I'd love to talk about the resolution I found to get myself out of the hellhole that yeah. was those nine mm-hmm. years, I'd love to go into that. But When I got out of it, I didn't know what hunger felt like. I had not lived with hunger. I'd either live with starving feelings Mm -hmm. that I repressed for five years, or I lived with stuffness and I was actually afraid of being hungry on the flip side of the scale. The heavy side of the scale, me on Weight Watchers, I had a, it took a while to realize, I had a psychological fear of being hungry because in my head, I associated hunger with the starvation of the first five years. Mm. And so my mind thought, if I actually lose the weight, I'm actually going to become borderline anorexic again, and then no one's going to say anything, and then I'm going to end up on the other side of a pendulum that's extreme and the other opposite direction. So anyways, I just feel like this subject is something. The more that we talk about it, more I remember like all of these chapters of my life unfolding It's so big because you and I have very similar upbringings, like just from hearing your story. It's, I mean, kind of startling, but I had no connection to my body. (laughs) I mean, I I kind of feared my body, actually, in some ways. I thought my body was something to be controlled. My body had to look a certain way to be, quote unquote, good. In the work you do now, in the work I do now, that connection to our bodies becomes it's everything. You can't access those beanbags or that inner voice without being in that sacred, safe place of your body. We can all get there. (laughs) And thanks to teachers like you, it makes it a lot easier. Okay, but back up. This resolution. Let's finish the story of how you got out of it. How I crawled my way out of the hellhole that was those nine years. I first, now again, I was like many, probably many people listening to this actually, because obviously after this, this kind of was the first point where I actually had my mind going out of control in a subject. And I finally shifted to my intuition, but it was the baby step. Mm. I didn't have any of the, uh, of the tools and techniques and the wisdom and insights I later had. So I want to like, obviously shorten everybody else's time frame so they don't have to wait all the years and decades that I had to do to get to the, the wiser, faster track. But I did the slow track. And even as a beginner, like many other people listening, I still got off the stupid highway of this obsession. And here's what I originally for myself at that point, I read the book Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth. I think Oprah had her on the show back in the day. And this is like how long ago this was in my lifetime where I was dealing with this. But the book Women, Food, and God, I can't even remember anything in the book. So don't go to the book and think that's <laughs> going to solve anything. I wouldn't even read the book, actually. So skip the book. But she, I will say, thank the Lord that Janine Roth existed at that time. And here's the takeaways that shifted me. So I can just tell you the takeaways. You don't have to read the rest of it. It wasn't a weight loss book. It was just talking. I forget even what it was talking about. The things that I needed, though, was she was on the show and she said she had the people on the show that I remember the things that stuck out to me that hit home for me. She goes, how many times have you gained and lost the same 10 pounds? She asked the audience of people that had weight issues, the fluctuations. And so, and then she guessed that they all told the number, they calculated it. And then she goes, if you live till you're 80, how many more times at that frequency rate will you gain and lose the same 10 pounds until you're 80? And or until you die. And I think it was something like 80 for me was how many more times I was going to gain and lose the same 10 pounds. And I was like, okay, that context of like, this is a cycle that's just like going back and forth and not actually getting anywhere was highlighted with that. And Mm. that was one of the things that, and I think she also kind of said, it's not about the food. So those are the two main things. What I realized was through all of it too, I don't know if it came from the book or how at that time, but here's what I ultimately realized. When I was the underweight weight and I was obsessive about the underweight weight, I was, I asked like, if you ask me, why did you want to lose the weight? And think about this. I actually want everyone who's listening to do this right now. Ask yourself, ask your mind, why do you want to weigh the weight that you think is the magical weight? Why do you want that weight? Now, I ended up asking my doctor, what's that magical number that I should be? Because I was so confused after those 10 years. I didn't even know what my Mm. body should weigh because I was keeping it out of balance either direction. It told me, he told me basically straight in the middle of the two differences that I had been living. So that became my goal weight. But if you have a goal weight that you think you're going to be magically happy and beautiful and everything in, 
What's that number? And then ask yourself, why do you want that number? Why do you want that number? Now you can say, I'm pretty, I'll wear my clothes that I want. I look great or whatever. But like, what's the feeling that you want? And again, this is way before Mm. Abraham Hicks and Law of Attraction, any of that for myself. But I eventually came to, well, I felt like I would be peaceful. For me, the word peaceful was what the body weight in that magic number that the doctor gave me that sounded good to me too. That's what it would give me. And what I realized was that the entire journey from being, let's say, 20 pounds under that weight and 20 pounds over that weight, I was never peaceful. So Mm. 20 pounds under, I lived that for years steadily. And I was obsessed with that. Once I gained one more pound and God forbid, I actually looked better because I had more weight on my, I looked better because I was, had more fat. I needed Mm -hmm. fat on the, to be beautiful. It was like, my mind didn't know that like beauty is not Mm. thinness. Beauty can be at any size, but it also, when you're restricting your body, it's not beautiful. When you restrict the energy of a restricted body, or an excessed body is not a visually harmonious effect to the body. So you can be any scale size, it doesn't even matter, and be beautiful. But if you're in a state of non-harmony with the body, the reflection on the body, so the body is going to reflect the inner state of being. So if you're in harmony with your body, it'll reflect a beautiful shape and proportion. It'll just, it'll exude beauty. But if you're in this control factor stuff like I was for the under or overeating side of things, it doesn't look beautiful because it's reflecting the intent on the inside, which is control or disgust. So it's all actually going to show up and actually other people are going to actually be able to perceive. That's why if you see someone with a severe eating disorder, you look at me like it does, it looks disturbing in most cases because you can tell that that is not the way the body is, you know, thriving under, but also that's because the intent inside the consciousness that lives within them is coming from this place that is not in a state of harmony and balance. Mm-hmm. And so the body is actually just a mirror reflecting. This was a huge insight for me in aha. It was just reflecting my intent on the inside the entire time. It wasn't, it wasn't doing it wrong. It wasn't doing it right. It was just re- a mirror reflecting in the external world, my inner world. So when I was on the younger side, or sorry, thinner and younger, when I was thinner side, I was never peaceful because I was afraid I was going to gain weight. And so even when I was underweight, I was not peaceful because I thought, well, I could gain weight any day now if I don't control this. And then when I was on the big side of the scale, I was afraid because I thought I'd never lose the weight. And so even if I was in the magic number, I'd be afraid of gaining weight And so I'd never be peaceful. And I was like, well, wait, there's no number on the scale. There's zero numbers between the 40 pounds or 40 beyond or 40 below. There's actually zero poundage that ever, 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 ever will lead to peace. So if your number is 120, Mm -hmm. if your number is 140, if your number is 160, it doesn't even matter, 155, it doesn't even matter. But whatever number it is, I guarantee you it will not be a number of peace because the number will always be changing. Every single day when you go to to the bathroom, it's going to change. It's literally impossible to keep your body in the same number every day. So for you to get the idea of peace out of that number is impossible because you're going to have to be controlling the impossible, like trying to keep the water in the ocean levels always the same. It's literally Truly a fool's errand. So when I realized that about my own numbers, I finally realized, well, no number is peaceful. And the whole reason I want this is peace. So I need to stop looking at a number for peace. And I gave up the fight. And I remember I was in an express Mm. clothing store. And I was talking to my mom on the phone. And my mom is like an early lifer, probably not first, first lifer, but like young lifer. So if you listen to my work, you know, I believe in multiple lives. Mm -hmm. And so she asks very non-threatening, but very simple questions. So she, what I'm going to say this, it's not, it's going to sound like if she was an older soul, like it could be barbed or judged. It's not. But she, I told her mom, and I was on the heavy side of the scale, might I say, at this point where I gave up the fight on the weight, weight battle. And I was like, I'm going to just eat what my intuition wants to eat until satisfied. And that's it. And I don't know whether the scale is going to get bigger or smaller or whatever, but I'm just going to stop trying to control the scale. I'm just going to eat what my intuition wants to eat until satisfied. Even then, before I even knew what the inner voice really, I said what my intuition wants to eat, which is interesting that it was, mm-hmm. it was pre-baked in me. Mm-hmm. Somehow I pulled yeah. that word out. But she goes, well if you just eat whatever you want, this is such a classic mind question. What if you get bigger? Which she's, I know that sounds like a mean mom that's like, well, what if you just get fat? Because no, she wasn't (laughs) saying it like that. She was just asking Mm -hmm. an obvious direct question. And Mm -hmm. I listened to the question. I was like, yeah, 
I could eat whatever my intuition wants to eat until satisfied and feel I get bigger. That could happen. I could. I had to allow that that yeah. could happen and that I mm. still wanted peace more than I wanted a specific mm. number on the scale. So even if on the heavier 20 pounds plus that my frame didn't need side of things, even if I went up 10 more pounds, 20 more pounds, five more pounds, it doesn't matter or stayed the same, that that had to be okay. And I truly meant it because I got so crystal clear inside of myself. And I see very few people that I work with on this subject actually get to this point. And so if I wanna help you the most, anyone listening to this, this is the thing I think that's the hardest for the mind to grasp and to truly get on board with come hell or high water. I'm very charged up because I really care about this subject for anyone that's going through it. And I just have tried to help friends and clients alike. And this piece of it, I can't impress into somebody. It has to come from hitting the core of you and your mind, even in its own control tactics and stuff has to see the insanity that is thinking mm. that a number and a size or a number in your genes or whatever the hell you are, your mind's obsessed with yeah. is actually going to lead to the emotion of peace. It's not. And if you just go for peace, no matter what, and you listen to your intuition is what I picked, no matter what, no matter what, even if it went high, even if it went low, but you're going for peace, no matter what, you're free. Mm. Because then your body yeah. can actually do whatever it's naturally meant to do without your mind controlling it. Then the harmony can emerge. Then the balance can emerge. Then the beauty at whatever point in the scale can be quite balanced and reflect the beauty of the peace that's inside you. Over time, as I did that, at first, can I go through the stages of this, Nikki? This is amazing. I love it. Okay. Okay. So then what I first did was, okay, peace is what matters, no matter whatever yeah. else. So I stopped doing Weight Watchers. I stopped calorie counting. My mind could probably still tell you the calories for every single food that it's ever eaten because I think it's still probably lodged somewhere in my brain. Wow. But thank the Lord, it doesn't ever occur to me to consider that now. But I had to deal with a few things. There were stages to this reintegration process I mm. unknowingly stepped into. So one was I didn't know what hunger felt like and I was scared to feel hungry. So I knew what stuffed felt like. I knew what uncomfortable felt like, but I was terrified of hunger weirdly because of the starvation years. So I had yeah. to be okay learning how to feel hunger and how to feel satiated and how to feel satisfied and how to find out what the hell satisfaction was. And I just remember what I did. My mind told me that I would not be able to eat ice cream if I ate what my intuition wanted until satisfied. My intuition would never let me eat ice cream because that wasn't healthy for me. So mm -hmm. I decided to get a carton of ice cream and a tiny little cup. I think it was like a small third of a measuring cup kind of cup, but it wasn't about the measuring cup, but it was small. Imagine like a third of a cup of measuring cup. If you're binge eating pints of ice cream like I was, that's a small cup. So definitely I could have eaten a third of a cup of ice cream without even thinking about it. But I needed to learn what mm -hmm. satisfaction meant because I'd lost the idea of what satiation felt like. I had no idea even what satisfaction was. And I thought that if my intuition was leading the way, I'd never really eat anything not healthy and perfect. So I ate this ice cream every night after dinner and I had it in this tiny little cup and I had a tiny little spoon and I would eat it little bite by little bite until I felt the moment of satiation, until I felt mm. satisfied. And then I had to challenge myself to throw out the remaining ice cream that was in this tiny little cup, which I previously would have blasted through and then gone back to the carton, stood at the counter and scooped more out of the curtain, not counting those calories in the binge eating years, because by then I'm just like blasting through all these calorie restriction rules. And so I, I had to just eat the cup, throw out the rest and learn when that bite of satiation was hit. That's mm. what satisfied. I had to like feel into like feel that feeling again. And at first I ate a lot of actually unhealthy foods that in the starvation years I didn't allow myself to have or restricted myself from, but I would eat them in smaller portion size than I used to eat them. And that would be satisfied because I'd eat exactly what I wanted. I just wouldn't ever feel stuffed or overly full. So that was a phase where I just like legalized all these foods. And I didn't do this mm -hmm. deliberately, except for the ice cream. That was very deliberate. But otherwise, I just kind of went through this phase until one day I was in Trader Joe's and I had heartburn from eating a burger with chorizo or something on it at lunch. And we were grocery shopping and I had like a meltdown in the salad section because I was like, oh my God, I think I 
I think I want to eat a salad. And then again, all the fears of the restriction mm-hmm. years came up because mm-hmm. it was like, wait, am I going to be doing this to control because my mind associated with healthy foods, not with the intuition satisfaction side, because I got good at portion control, basically from eating what I wanted, my intuition wanted to eat until satisfied. I got okay with that on the unhealthy foods, quote unquote, but in smaller portion size that actually never made me uncomfortable. But then to actually include back to the buffet, healthy items of food was a whole nother chapter. And to learn how to add those healthy foods in without restriction mentality, but actually, like you mentioned earlier, nourishment, that this would actually be tasty, delicious. I wouldn't be restricting myself and I could add that also. So those were the phases Mm -hmm. for me to include all foods. But these are the initial first steps for me. And I remember the worst and hardest thing for my mind that had to most be clear was when, and here's what I would say to everyone else, please like burn your scales. There's absolutely no reason for anyone Mm -hmm. to ever know the number on a scale ever. If you're going to die of Mm -hmm. malnutrition, we're going to be able to tell by looking at you, you're not doing well. You know, if you're in a hospital because you're in a coma and they need to medically weigh you to make sure your fluids are enough to keep you supported and alive, let them worry about your weight in your coma. But you personally can look in a mirror, wear your clothes, observe yourself and how you feel and look in the mirror. Yeah. You don't need the scale because the scale is the mind's playground and it does nothing to reflect beauty. There's no number that's peaceful. There's no number that's beautiful. Mm. You can be the same number and be restricting and look um, restricted, or you can be in the same number and look balanced and harmonious because it's not about the number. It's about how the intention from within is reflected on the outside. So burn your scales. But I didn't know this at that time. So I was still weighing myself. I would never, ever, ever, ever do that now. When they ask me what I weigh at, like a driver's license or health insurance, I just look up a body BMI index and just give them an answer. I don't care. <laughs> I have I'm no not, idea I'm either. Yeah, I'm healthy. <laughs> I don't need to I have matter. no idea. It doesn't matter. It really honestly doesn't matter. And it's going to change every day. So it's just going to make your mind go crazy. Yeah. There's no point to torture yourself unnecessarily. So at that time, though, I wasn't that smart. And I have a friend that still, she hears me all the time about this and she still weighs herself. And I'm like, oh, she just tortures herself endlessly. But she also hasn't gotten to rock bottom. She hasn't really given up. She's still on the fight and she's still going to weigh herself to, to observe whether she's losing or gaining. But... This is where I said, I can't force that into anyone to help them actually surrender yeah. this whole grip. But when I was still weighing, I remember I would weigh like going up as I, everyone does go up and down from the scale, but generally slowly go down and become more harmonious as a shape. But I remember when it would go up a few pounds, my mind would say the most insidious and difficult thing to overcome. For me, it would say, you know, I can help you lose those few pounds. Let's say it was like two or three pounds heavier than I last was when I weighed myself. It would tell me like, I could help you with these two, three, five pounds and I'll help you control with the normal old way of doing things back to the weight you were last time. And then you can go back to your intuition thing. I can help you lose Mm. what you've just gained. And I was like, that was the hardest logic for my mind to give Mm -hmm. me and still Mm -hmm. not cave and say, no, I meant peace, not a number. But just now I would say, don't torture yourself like that. Just don't have a scale. Yeah. Be relevant. Yeah. It's so interesting. That's something I wanted to highlight because when I had this eating disorder therapy, finished college and really thought I was healed, went to move to New York City with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, eventually went to culinary school. And it was like the pendulum swung the other way. And I just wanted to eat all the things and do all the things. And it was really fun. I have to say it was really fun until I developed some health issues. And it's so interesting because one of them was indigestion. And I was so afraid of healthy food. (laughs) Ironically, isn't that funny? Just like you. And I've never really thought about that, but it was like, I was afraid of having to go back and like, look at my diet and eat what society deems as healthy because I had wanted to get out of that conditioning so bad. But then it was so amazing because I realized I could find my own way. And there is no such thing as healthy versus unhealthy. It's just what, I guess there's no blanket approach to that. 
for me, I think it's just incredibly unique. It's ex- it's like what my body, <laughs> what my body wants. And I also want to say to those listeners, we all will fuck up. Like we are not perfect. We're not meant to be perfect. So there will still be times when we eat too much food. And instead of like going back to that mental control, fix it, it's like soften and have compassion and be like, okay, honey, like it's okay. Your body's going to know how to balance this out. Like you will refine that harmony, even if you just put yourself through like a major situation or whatever it is. Yes. And in my work, I've realized, especially in the last year, it's become super clear to me, the duality of this reality. So this is something you hear in the Buddhism Mm -hmm. and the spiritual's path, but like it wasn't relevant to me until it was relevant to me. And in the last year, it's become hyper relevant to me in terms of helping people. So I use the word the pendulum a lot. So if you think of a necklace or a pendulum, if you know what a pendulum actually is, but if you just think of a pendant on a necklace and you hang it in front of you, kind of like the hypnotism where it swings back and forth, like you are getting very sleepy and it goes back and forth. (laughs) Everything in this reality often almost every single thing in this reality, I would say everything in this reality, kind of has a spectrum, right? There's the high or the low, the black or the white, the Republican, the Democrat. There's a duality to this reality. And so I lived and you lived, it sounds like, or you were afraid of going back to the pendulum swing back after you went to culinary school, you swung into allowing all of the delicious food but you were afraid to swing back. Okay, so what you as listeners might be doing and watching is I live for half the decade on one side of the pendulum. Then I lived on the other side of the pendulum. Then I broke free and got clear of the pendulum and you have as well. But if you're going through this process and right now you guys might be on one side of the pendulum and maybe you swung like we did. So maybe you're on the other side than the one you used to be on. But if you're on either side of the pendulum, when you break free and you are clear, what you get to do is cherry pick the best of both worlds, of both mm-hmm. sides of the pendulum. So let's say, I know you're American, Nikki, and I was grew up there. Mm-hmm. So let's say what's really hotly contested in the U.S., politics right now. Even saying mm-hmm. that, I'm happy I'm in the U.K. when I say that. <laughs> so, okay. So <laughs> I like I can say it from abroad and say I've been gone for eight years, but I've watched the story of the pendulum oh, of politics God. from afar. So it's here's what I would say. So Everyone's true. like, so identified with one or another and then rejecting the other, just like the food, the binging or the restricting. So what you want to do, though, is actually realize there's no perfect politics and there's no perfect side of like restriction or binging or that stuff either or healthy versus unhealthy food or whatever it is for you. It's actually just saying, oh, I'm going to take the things that I love out of Democrat the ethos and the Republican ethos. I don't have to be either. I don't have to identify as a side of a pendulum, my God, your consciousness creating all that is. You are certainly not a Democrat or Republican, a binger or an anorexic. You're just consciousness experiencing these dualities. But once you're free of the dualities, you can cherry pick mm. your favorites. So what I do now is I feel like I'm a momentarian. Someone asked me, like, did you eat vegetarian in Portugal? It's like, I eat whatever the hell I want to eat. And I, even if I mostly eat vegetables most of the time in the moment, I will never say I'm restricted from mm-hmm. eating a pig if I want to eat a pig because that is in a now to now freedom decision moment. No one should, even if someone's going to be, even if I was vegan the rest of my life and only in the now chose plants, I would never call myself and label myself a thing which is on a pendulum. It's just like, well, I can eat whatever I want. And in this moment, I feel like eating a smoothie right now. And then tomorrow I feel like eating pancakes. And then I feel like eating whatever I want to eat. It doesn't matter. But when you eat 10 out of 10, then you can have a 10 out of 10 everything. So I have 10 out of 10 macaroni and cheese, 10 out of 10 like smoothies that I love, you know, as long as I love it as much as a 10 out of 10 for me. So if it's, I don't eat beets very often because they're like a seven out of 10 for me in most preparations. (laughs) So I don't really eat them, but I love like a veggie burger. I love those like impossible burgers. Those are 10 out of 10s for me. So every like now and then when I want one, I love that. And I also love, and that would be something that my mom, like would be like more the fun a macaroni and cheese. That's really good. 10 out of 10. If it's a really good macaroni and cheese, yeah. I eat it. If it's my dates with honey, almond butter and blueberries in the morning, it's a 10 out of 10. So I eat it. If it wasn't 10 out of 10, I'd eat chocolate instead. I just eat whatever is a 10 out of 10. And there's no good healthy food that's a 10 out of 10 or only unhealthy food that's a 10 out of 10. So that got me past and blasted through all the unhealthy or just healthy food kind of thing. It's just like, what is your favorite stuff? And just eat a mixture of that stuff in the now moment that brings you joy in that moment to be the 10 out of 10. 
It's so much simpler. Mm. I love this so much because it's breaking us all out of these labels. Our mind wants to control. Our mind loves a label. It likes to feel safe. It wants to have this be good and this be bad. And you know what that does? That creates so much divisiveness. Not only we can see this very clearly right now politically and externally, but that same thing happens internally within ourselves. When we try to label, when we try to restrict, when we try to all of these things, not to say that we can't have practices and we can't have a sense of discipline, but when we try to box ourselves in, we're denying ourselves freedom, like the freedom of joy and pleasure of being in a body, of being in relationship to our bodies, of communicating to our bodies. Like I love, I love vegetables. They're my favorite thing to cook because they're so beautiful and there's so many colors and stuff. If that's all I ate, I wouldn't get as much joy out of it. I just want us to break open. And while it can feel scary to be free, you get to be free. <laughs> so in the political version, which I brought up, and I know it's a hot topic for Americans listening, but, but I remember I was in college in a class in D.C. and they talked about this. They said, the, and I think it's probably still true, even though it was a very different time in 2007, but I, st I still think it's probably statistically a bit similar. It's just more stigmatized to talk about politics now than it was then. But they said the hmm. majority of Americans are actually fiscally conservative and socially liberal. So you mm. now have to basically choose like on a, a totally, is it going to be like abortion or is it going to be taxes or something you're going to choose from? It makes you pick on like social action or oh, tax or fiscally policies. But the actual American population in the majority of the country actually wants a bit of both. But now it's like so stigmatized that I don't even know if people would even be open to that potential now as much as they were back in 2007. But I remember at the yeah. time I like did a whole paper on like, why couldn't there be a third party that actually reflected the desires of the culture? Yeah. And it's actually the duality thrives on the fight between itself. So you might notice mm -hmm. in your own mind mm -hmm. that the duality thrives inside of you the restriction versus the overly permissive, like binging permissive permission, that mental control thrives on the duality within yourself. When you get clear and you break off the attachment to the thin or the binging or all of these things, it's going to be just as destabilizing as if your mind's super attached to a political identity to go, oh my God, actually there's great things on both sides and I don't have to be identified completely with either. I'm actually free. I'm a sovereign being that can mm. still make a vote or make a choice when you go cooking tonight, what you want to cook, but you don't have to be identified as I only ever cook from this side of a pendulum or only ever yeah. eat this way or I only ever vote a certain way. Mm. You're free. Mm. 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 You're free. You're free. So, okay. As far as tools now, if people are listening, they're like, oh my gosh, this just sounds so great. Like, I know that there's a class you offer. Where can people get some of these tools to release these bean bags, to step out of the duality, to gain freedom for themselves? Not only around food, might I mention, but <laughs> yeah. around pretty much everything else. <laughs> yeah, I've covered so many different subjects now. And we've done victim, victimizer stories, which is another pendulum. We've done money, we've done career, mm. we've done I, I, you name it, we've probably covered it. So we've done a lot of things, including embodied alignment, which was the class that was about this subject. And that was a class I personally taught. There's also free classes that are taught by our inner voice facilitator graduates in our Alively library. So go over to bellalively.com. If you want to take the class at the Evergreen, you can click and purchase and start doing it right away. We're going to do lots of conversation around this, lots of hot seating with clients that were going through these same issues, but in their own personal lives. So you'll see a lot of different archetypical energies of people that are going through this. It was a really beautiful, smaller group class. You got to really follow the people's stories along with them and release beanbags with them. So those emotions we talk about, we cover all the beanbags mm -hmm. that they had presenting around food and restriction or binging, all that kind of stuff and control. So that's a class that's just with me. There's a ton of hours in that class. So go for it. If that sounds like fun for you, you'll go over to the shop section or go to bellalively.com and then look for the Alively library. There's 111 free inner voice classes taught by the facilitators in 2012 to 12,000 people. And those are freely available as well. So those are just free one-off little hour-long classes that'll show you how to beanbag release. And there'll be topics around food as well. So you can click on those if they're interesting to you. I think that the more intensive, the more 
deeply you want to look at the subject, I would say that the embodied alignment class is the one to go to. But if you want just kind of light grazing, see if it feels like you even like the beanbagging stuff and all that kind of thing, go over to the library and take those free classes. Thank you so much, Bella. I have one more question for you. This is how I end every episode and it's a fun one and it's going to be a fun one because in hearing you say, I know that like me, I say this all the time, my answer changes literally by the hour. So in this moment, in this now moment for you, (laughs) it's your last meal on earth. What would it be? Oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> I think it would be, I was debating between two things that came to mind. I think it would be macaroni and cheese. What the hell? I'm not, I'm excited to leave. So I'm like, wait, why am I making this a big deal? Like, what would I want to eat just before I go? I guess macaroni and cheese. Like that would be good. <laughs> uh, with truffles in it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is funny. I was just, I have a newsletter coming out where I was just sharing one of my winter favorites is a little truffle oil and mac and cheese because it makes me feel luxurious and it's just delicious, especially when it's so cold and, and gray out. So I love I love that answer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me well, on the show and letting you rant so <laughs> much. Oh, no, I think it's so expansive for everyone who listens. And you bring a very human side to something that is it's a big topic. And it's a topic that actually, as we have discussed, gets a little bit spiritual. We're talking about consciousness here, actually, at the end of the day, believe it or not, that you you guide people in such a human way towards that. And I'm really grateful for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to help because I understand this subject for almost 10 years of my life. This was ruling my mind. And so to help anyone else not have to go through a decade or multiple decades in this kind of place is a great honor for me. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food, and by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.